Welcome to JAG Talk, a podcast series featuring Navy JAG community experts. Listen to in-depth discussions about different legal fields and hear insights and lessons learned from practitioners across our enterprise. Chapter 32, Non-Traditional Leadership Opportunities, the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program. I am Lieutenant Commander Jess Ford, the Professional Development Officer for the Washington, D.C. area. I am joined today by my colleague, Lieutenant Ben Maddox, the Deputy Staff Judge Advocate for Commandant Naval District Washington. Thank you for taking part in this podcast. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Now, before we get started, I'm going to give the standard disclaimer. The views and opinions presented here are those of the speakers and do not constitute endorsement by or necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or the Department of the Navy. So while Lieutenant Maddox is going to discuss his personal experience with one non-federal entity, there are many other organizations out there besides the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program that also offer outstanding professional development and leadership opportunities. So please keep those in mind. All right, so Lieutenant Maddox, I understand you participated in the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program. Please tell us all about it. Yes, so it's kind of a mouthful, Presidential Leadership Scholars Program. Uh, I'll just tell you first how I heard about it. Um, I went to Texas A&M for graduate school. One of my colleagues did the program, and uh, that kind of first uh, spurred my interest in it. And, um, you know, looked at the website, talked to a few people. But essentially what it is, it's a, it's a mid-career leadership development program uh, for, for people that are interested in, you know, solving press, pressing issues of the day and kind of uh, taking like an introspective look at their, their leadership and who they are. And um, the, the great thing about the program is that it's sponsored by uh, four former presidents and their respective libraries and foundations. So most presidents have a, they have a presidential library, um, which is, I think, owned um, or used by the National Archives and Records Administration. And then they also have a foundation as well, which kind of, you know, puts together programs uh, surrounding their presidency. Um, and then some of them have like a school arm. Like I went to the Bush School of Government at Texas A&M. Um, George W. Bush, President Bush, has a like a think tank policy institute in Dallas, but no graduate school. So, so anyway, there are four presidents: um, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson in Austin. Um, there was uh, George H. W. Bush at a college station at Texas A&M, and then George W. Bush in Dallas with, at SMU, and then President Bill Clinton um, in in Little Rock. So all of the foundations came together to create this program about five years ago. So I I was fortunately selected uh, into the class. So what does this class actually do? So the class is, it's a group of 60 people, um, and it is a group not just of, of military or civilians. So it's a diverse collection of individuals, uh, usually that have about at least 10 years of experience. And um, we, had, we, had, we had five active duty that were a part of the program. Uh, probably about a third of the class was actually uh, a reservist or a veteran, uh, someone who had, who had served. But it was the most 
eclectic mix of doctors, nonprofit professionals, uh, business people, entrepreneurs, uh, military service members. So it was a it was a really great collection of people that were really interested in uh, you know developing their leadership skills, but also um, you know meeting meeting the presidents, meeting President Bush, and meeting President Clinton, and kind of learning from their particular experiences. Um, they, they actually told us, you know, through the program at the very end, they said, you know, how would you define this group of people? And I actually wrote it down here. So I'll just read it. It says a diverse group of committed leaders dedicated and empowered to make transformational change and solve the pressing issues of the day. Um, that's probably very wordy with too many adjectives, but people, you know, the people there were very inspiring. A lot of them had, you know, owned their own businesses and were, were giving back in a, a tremendous variety of ways. I mean, one, one individual who is a good friend, he, he's involved in homeless advocacy in San Francisco. It's a organization. Organization he, he runs called Miracle Messages. And what he does is he connects with people that are homeless, uh, you know, with th- their family. And he tries to put them back together and kind of display messages between, you know, um, folks that are, you know, down on their luck and homeless and maybe their families back home. There are also other people that... You know, there was one particular individual that wanted to open uh, walk-in OB clinics in New York City and to provide, you know, those opportunities for people. So uh, lots of advocacy, lots of great people. Um, but but in addition to in addition to all the great people, you know, we went through leadership and teamwork exercises from professors at Stanford and Georgetown. Um, but also there was a lot that we just learned from each other um, and kind of reflecting on who we are, what our leadership style is. And they put us through a series of you know leadership exercises and teamwork exercises that you might get at like a business school, um, which kind of each one was framed per, um, you know, every different library that we went to. Um, we learned about that specific president, had some pre-reading that we would have to do, and then we would do exercises about things that that, that president did. Like, so I'll give you an example. President Bush, you know, he wrote this book, Decision Points, after his presidency. And so a lot of the uh, the program and the modules, as they, as they called them, were around decision-making. You know, how do you make decisions and what factors and what is involved in making, you know, either difficult personnel decisions or, you know, kind of policy decisions uh, at at the highest level. So that was super, super interesting. So thank you for sharing some of the substance. I know you mentioned that you went to each different presidential library. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about the actual logistics of the program as well? Yes, the logistics. So essentially what we would do is every every month, we actually started out in Washington, D.C. for a, a, a four or five day uh, program. And then every month we would go to each library. And each library, they called them modules, was formed around a particular theme that related to, to each particular president. So uh, the first library that we went to was the uh, President H.W. Bush, George H.W. Bush Library in College Station. And um, I will say one of the neat things about going to each place is that we actually got to go to the library and kind of it was kind of like a step into, you know, um, 
a step into history about you know what tra- transpired. There was definitely a lot about the Cold War, um, you know, a lot about things that President H. W. Bush had done in his presidency. The theme of that particular uh, weekend was strategic partnerships, and President Bush was. Um, a master communicator with leaders all over the world and really relating to his prior experience as CIA director, um, as UN ambassador and as vice president, he literally had contacts with everyone. And, you know, we actually also, you know, um, focused on the ability to write thank you notes. And that was one of President Bush's gifts is that he would always take time for for others. And there was an example that one of his staffers gave um, after the the Bush-Gore election in 2000. On election night, he called Al Gore um, just to see how he was doing. And the reason he did that is because he had been in that position before when he lost to President Clinton. And so he knew that feeling, and there was really only a one other person in the world that could have that feeling, and he had it, so he uh, you know, was gracious enough to give him a call. So anyway, that was the strategic partnerships module. Uh, very impactful, very, very interesting. Next, we went to uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, where President Clinton had his... Um, his module and the the focus there was on vision and communication. However, I would probably say the module was probably more focused on storytelling based on who President Clinton is as a person. He is a master storyteller. And I think that's what made him uh, an effective president. He was able to create a story and he was really able to relate to anyone. And uh, we did have a session with him, a Q&A about you know, a lot of foreign policy and immigration issues. And he just told example after example of stories before his presidency and and during his presidency. Um, He also gave a a speech at Georgetown, which kind of outlined his national vision, which he was running for president. And so that kind of taught us a lot of things about policy formation and communicating that that policy in a way that a president would. And so, you know, that was like something that, that, that I definitely learned, but never really been to Little Rock before. So that was a, that was an interesting and fun experience. Uh, next we went to the president, George W. Bush's library, and that was focused on decision-making and, it, you know, that was that, that was in Dallas, Texas. And, you know, a really neat part about President Bush's library was that we had a really an outstanding introduction to the president by the former first lady, Laura Bush. She talked about how President Bush got into painting and, um, you know, his kind of process uh, after being a president and um she is a very, very special woman and definitely learned a lot from her. But the focus of the module was on decision making. And so we kind of set foot into President Bush's, um, you know, his his perspective when he was the president related to big, big issues of the day, the Iraq war, Hurricane Katrina, the financial crisis, you know, would we have made those decisions if we were in his particular situation? So had a lot of great discussions about uh, him as a leader and why he made the decisions that he did. So I think you know, some people came in with maybe preconceived notions about particular presidents, and the program was not political at all. 
But one of the things that was great about the program is that really it humanized everyone, uh, not only presidents, but the people in the program and, you know, about how to have respectful conversations of people that are, that are different than you that maybe have different ideologies than you as well. Um, anyway, the last uh, last module was the LBJ, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson um, President Johnson's module in Austin, Texas, and his was on influence and persuasion. And at the library, there is a large uh, picture of Lyndon B. Johnson leaning over, and you're supposed to go into that picture. And he's what he's giving you what's called the Johnson treatment, which is basically his way of cajoling and influencing and persuading you to do something in particular. So if you've read any of Robert Caro's books about LBJ, he is the master influencer and persuader. And so we read about a lot of examples of, of his legislative accomplishments and what he did prior in government and, and being the Senate majority leader and um, how he was able to effectively run the government. And, and also there were difficult conversations too. You know, he was president during the Vietnam War and, uh, you know, we talked about all four presidents' legacies and decisions that they had made. So if I had to choose a favorite, it was definitely definitely uh, the LBJ module. Uh, I think I definitely got the most out of it. It was probably the most academic. We had some historians give talks on 1968 and, and other kind of monumental changes that happened in the 60s in America. So... So those were the four modules. And, you know, they were framed and structured in a way to um, really make us think about, like, what we are doing in our own lives, personally and professionally, around those particular things. So we were trying to take the pieces away from these presidents and apply them to our, you know, our daily lives. So it definitely sounds like you had a lot of uh, lessons learned from the facilitators and especially the guest speakers and even the other participants that you can pull back uh, as a military officer and a JAG. <clears throat> I understand that as part of this class, you also worked on uh, your own personal project. Can you please tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. Yeah, so as part of the program, each individual kind of worked on a um, worked on a project um, for usually it was tied to, you know, their career or something that they were personally interested in. And, you know, I've only been in the Navy for about five years. I am still a J.O. And, uh, you know, I definitely. You know, I've had a few. Uh, I've had some time as a prosecutor, you know, and then and as advising on military justice issues. And um, I, I decided to really uh, kind of think through and bring attention and awareness around uh, racial uh, bias in military justice. Not racial bias. I mean, uh, racial disparities in military justice. And the hypothesis that kind of surrounded my original proposal was that you know we need to develop a robust system of unconscious bias training uh, across the military justice community, um, you know, to make sure that we have, you know, the most equitable justice system that, that we, you know, can afford all of our service members. And what really prompted this was there was a report in 2017 that, that I'm sure many JAGs have, have read uh, related to, um, it was a group called Protect Our Defenders, which they're normally 
a nonprofit advocacy group related to sexual assault, but they did a, a FOIA request um, for for each military service about you know racial disparities, and they came kind of had a, a big article in USA Today about it. Um, whoa. We didn't have enough data uh, to really answer the questions that they were asking. And so one of the things that I know that that JAG leadership and and members uh, of Congress, they put in, you know, some language into the NDAA in 2017. And that prompted a government accountability uh, office report, which was actually recently done, like while I was in the program. So it was really great timing. And uh, they published this a few months ago, and and basically what it what it found was that we don't really have good um, data collection among the services tied to to race, in addition to gender and some other issues as well. And there were a series of recommendations that uh, I think the Department of Defense is pursuing, and um, you know personally I'll be tracking that. Um, but one of the things that I thought was interesting about it was. You know, that it it was actually a relief because race and gender wasn't a statistically significant. Um, it was not statistically significant related to conviction or punishments from general or special courts martial. So to me, that's a that's a good thing. So when we have a sailor coming up for a court martial, you know, there is not a large disparity there in terms of race. And I, I think that's I think that's good. Um, what what the GAO report did identify is that we're still investigating minorities uh, at much higher rates than people that aren't. And I, I think that the civilian law enforcement agencies have been kind of tracking this issue for the past five, 10 years. And I think that, you know, we need to be we need to be doing the same as a, as, as a Department of Defense. And I've already been in touch with NCIS, uh, some of the JAGs there, and we'll be meeting with special agent in charge with a few others next week. And so, you know, I'll be working on this um, just in my own personal capacity. But I think as JAGs and as our entire military justice community, we just need to be cognizant about, you know, our biases. biases. And uh, I know that we and a lot of JAGs have have pushed this issue. Um, Commander Kiesling is definitely one of them uh, who's championed it when she was at Code 61. And, you know, the Code 61 crew is we've put unconscious bias uh, slides into our structured interview training. And I've had some conversations with JAGs about that. Uh, But also, you know, from the flags, we've got our 2019 looking ahead. You know, we've got some unconscious bias training uh, more on the way this year. I know it was at JTS. So we're you know, we're focused on the issue. So I want to keep the momentum momentum going and and really kind of lead that momentum into our, you know, military criminal investigative organization partners uh, like NCIS. So, like I said, we can have the most equitable justice system possible. And so I think it's, um, you know, that's kind of my, my, my project. It's about bringing awareness and, and the issue because sometimes it's really hard to have conversations about race and military justice, uh, you know, and I think it's important. And, and one of the, you know, the whole program, the 60 people that were part of the program, uh, half the people didn't even know what a JAG was, you know, and you know, probably of those half, not even many people even knew there was a military justice system. So that's kind of why I think it's important for these programs, because it helps bridge that divide, um, that gap between the military and civilian communities. And, 
you know, so they 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 know that that this exists. This is what we're doing for our country, and that we're working on we're working on issues like this too. So, um, you know, th- that's my project. There's there's more to come, and I just want to make sure. Oh, actually, I, I I will mention this. My original plan was to write an article, um, you know, in the proceedings about this particular issue and. As ironic as it is, uh, a Navy captain decided to do the same thing at the exact same time. And uh, there was a captain who was currently a Princeton student, Captain Calfee. Um, I, th- I think he'd be fine with me using his name. Mm-hmm. He wrote an article called Implicit Bias Affects Military Justice. And, you know, he wrote this from his perspective as a former CO and as an African-American naval officer. And so we naturally uh, formed a friendship and have been communicating about the issue, you know, together. And um, I think that we, as JAGs, kind of owe it to the line community and the other staff community to talk more about military justice and kind of be more open about what the process is and what we're doing uh, so we can just make a make a better system as we're kind of constantly, you know, continuing to do. So since Captain Calfee kind of stole my thunder, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to write an article about it uh, because he already did, but I think it's pieces like this and um, conversations like this podcast that bring the issue kind of to the front so people can have those conversations about it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to continue uh, continue talking about it. And if anybody wants to talk about the issue regarding, you know, racial disparity or even gender disparity in military justice, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have those conversations uh, so we can make a, a better system. Now, you mentioned you're not going to be working on an article on this subject, but are you working on an article for anything else? Yes. So uh, there were four other active duty uh, service members. There was two Navy, uh, one Marine and one Coast Guard. So all sea services. And uh, we have decided to actually write a joint article together, uh, which is still in draft form. But uh, the article is about um, kind of these non this the subject of this podcast, non-traditional leadership opportunities, because I think it's a very good thing for members of the the Navy and the Navy JAG Corps to participate in these types of uh, endeavors because I think it brings back you know certain skills certain relationships and certain networks to the community but um, it's it's also important like I said earlier to you know to help the civilian world understand like who we are as a military and what we do and what we're working on and so I I, I think that it was really powerful that I was there I was actually only one of three lawyers uh, which I thought was interesting you know one of five naval or one of five uh, active duty officers um, but anyway, we're, we're writing we're writing about it because I think there's a lot of programs out there that can be beneficial to our Navy community, uh, not just in the JAG Corps. Uh, and, and there are programs like this kind of all all across the country that you know, as long as it's it's it's, it's scrubs, you know, <laughs> ethics clean, you know, I, I think we can really get a lot out of it as a uh, as a community in the Navy. So hopefully, look out for that in the next couple months. We've been through too many drafts, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that'll be uh, that'll be coming out. Never really written an article like that before, but hopefully it'll get some traction and maybe make some change. Well, thank you, Lieutenant Maddox, for sharing your experiences of both kind of giving back and showing the civilian world and these different organizations what the military has to offer and then taking lessons out of the private sector or even other public sector 
organizations back here to the military. Do you have anything else you would like to share about your experiences? Yes. So there is there is one thing. I'll, I'll just leave uh, leave this podcast with this brief exercise mm-hmm. that we did. Um, it was about reflection. And when I was a teacher, I used to have um, this program person that was helping me be a teacher. She would come in and she would be like, you need to reflect on what you're doing for your students. And I hated it. I refused to do it. Um, so we did it in this program too. And the, it was, the focus was on building reflection time to make you better. And, you know, as much as I resisted, I think it is actually fruitful. Um, so one of the questions was, and maybe you all can think about this, like what brings me joy? So they gave us a couple minutes to write down what brings you joy. And then, of course, we shared with the group, you know, or shared with, with the, you know, our table. And uh, what am I good at? You know, um, what does my community need? If I had to drop one project, what would it be and why? Doesn't matter if it's personal or professional, you know. Um, if my day uh, became 25% longer, how would I use the time? I told you, Commander Ford, it. <laughs> I would coach team sports. Like I used to be a coach and I miss it. I miss coaching. I mean, I wish I could, I could do that more. Um, so, you know, it's practices like that, that forced us to reflect and it forced us to have those conversations with different people, you know, um, a foreign service officer, you know, a naval officer at PAX, uh, you know, uh, a, a Hollywood producer in Los Angeles. I mean, these are the conversations I'm having these, you know, conversations with. And so you're really kind of a little bit out of your element, but I, I think that that was one of the things that I learned um, is about how to be reflective. And I guess the other big takeaway that I had was about listening, uh, listening skills and honing, like really perfecting those because I think obviously I'm doing a lot of talking right now, but um, I think it's really important to listen and really like listen with intent. So I think those were kind of my, my main takeaways as I would have thought like, oh, I'm a, I'm better at organization or I'm a better manager. And that's not the case at all. It was like, I'm more reflective and I'm a better listener. And I would have never said that beginning the program. Uh, and it's just still something to work on, right? Everybody has their, has their things to work on, but you know, so I think that there's a lot of goodness that I got out of the program. And, and, and I think I'm, I'm definitely taking that and like trying to apply it to like what I'm doing every day here. Uh, you know, in the Navy. So anyway, exceptional program. If anybody wants to to talk about it or or is interested in applying, you know, please let me know. I I can't say enough about it. And thankful also to the Navy for for allowing me to do it. I think it's I think it's a win win for both. So thank you very much again, Lieutenant Maddox, for sharing your experiences with us. Thank you, ma'am. If anyone would like to talk about the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program or any other non-traditional leadership opportunities, we are both happy to chat. And uh, thank you all again for taking the time to listen. You have been listening to JAG Talk, a podcast series featuring Navy JAG community experts. Visit jag.navy.mil for additional chapters of this podcast series. Thank you for tuning in.